Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. It's my honor this morning to be able to share with you from God's Word something really that has meant a lot to my family. And I hope and I know, because it's from God's Word, that it'll be an encouragement and a help to you and a challenge this morning. A passage of Scripture that God has used to not only challenge our faith, but teach us about what it means to follow Him and what it means to step out in faith when God opens up a door of opportunity uh, for you. And I pray that this morning you will have open hearts to receive what God has for us. I want to invite you this morning, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 14. This morning, 1 Samuel chapter 14 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time and really focused on the, the first 10 verses or so in this particular passage of Scripture. It's a story about how God used the faith of just one single person to literally change the outcome and the, the, the course in history for an entire nation. And, and really the challenge that I want you to, th- to have in your mind as we go through this this morning is how might God use me, use me as an individual to bring about, to accomplish his purpose as we step out in faith to follow him. And as you're getting to the passage there, I want to, before we jump in, I want to give you a little bit of context to help you understand what's going on here. Because we're kind of coming into the middle of, a, of an ongoing situation, an ongoing story. And so it's helpful because the context will be important in, in, as this story, as we walk through this together, to understand what exactly is going on. First Samuel here is, is, is named after the prophet Samuel. He was a priest and a prophet. You know the story. He, he was taken as a young child to the, uh, as, a, as a gift, as literally his mother Hannah. I made a promise to God saying, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to serve you all of his life. And he became a, a great prophet and priest in Israel. And this book of 1 Samuel was really the record of, of really around the time of his life, the beginning of the uh, monarchy in Israel. Prior to this time in, in Israel's history, they had they not had been ruled or, or led by a king. But God had raised up uh, different people along the way to lead Israel, for people like Moses that you might be familiar with, and Joshua, and then the Judges. Of course, the book of Judges records all the different judges that God raised up to lead and to guide Israel to follow him. But up until this point in history, they had not had a king, and Israel asked for a king, and that first king that was raised up was a man named Saul. And so this is around that time of uh, very early on in, in Saul's reign. Uh, uh, just several years, chapter 14 here, probably two to three or four years into Saul's reign. And so far, the first king of Israel, his reign is really not going super great. There's some issues that they're encountering. There's some problems that have occurred and some uh, foolish decisions that Saul has already made very early in his reign that has begun to change the course uh, of his life. And if you look back in chapter 13, if you just kind of glance back, I won't spend a lot of time here in chapter 13, but if you look back in chapter 13, uh, you can kind of understand what's, what's occurring. Saul has a son named Jonathan. He's the prince and really kind of the focus of our passage in chapter 14. But he's mentioned in the beginning of chapter 13 as having led a, an attack against a Philistine outpost that had been occupying a certain part of Israel and God had given him the victory. And so... 
this, this, uh, this assault, this attack that Jonathan had led with some of the uh, troops had kicked off this skirmish between uh, the Philistines and Israel. Of course, at this time, the Philistines were kind of long enemies, ongoing enemies of Israel. They had kind of gone back and forth. They would have these skirmishes. But this particular situation where, where Jonathan defeated this outpost kind of really ticked the Philistines off. And so in chapter 13, if you look at around verse 5, you see that they're like, okay, we're done. And so they raise up this massive army. There's so many troops that the Bible says that the foot soldiers, they don't even bother to give you a number because it says there are so many, they're just like the sand of the seashore. So there's an incredible army. And on the other side, for Israel, they only had around 3,000 troops. The Bible records that. They have a relatively small uh, group of people. And so just like you and I probably would react, how do you think the Israelites reacted when they saw this massive army that there was really no number, they didn't even bother to count? Uh, begins to be raised up, and they're calling up these troops. There's like 5,000 chariots and horsemen, and, and then all the ground troops, and they, of course, become pretty scared. And one by one, they kind of begin to say, I'm out. They're running off and hiding in caves. They're, they're going back home. They're sort of slowly deserting, and Saul is then left with only about 600 troops. So the vast majority of his army just says, there's no way that we could possibly face this massive force. There's no opportunity. And even the people that did stay with Saul, if you look at verse 7 of chapter 13, it says they, the people that did remain, they followed him trembling. So even the guys that were brave enough to stay were, were kind of like, I don't know about this. Totally understandable, right? So this is kind of what the situation is, is going on. And then to make matters worse, around this time when Saul should be even more seeking God's help and asking for, for, for his guidance and his power, guess what he does? He makes probably the number one most foolish decision of his entire reign. He disregards what God has said and instead, instead takes matters into his own hand. You know, can I say this, that typically in, in life, I've learned this, taking matters into your own hands usually doesn't turn out well. Especially when you take matters into your own hands after God has already sort of given you direction. Basically, 100% of the time, it's not going to go well for you. Let me just give you a little pro tip there. When God says something, usually good to do it. Not usually, always. So Saul, there's this, this kind of I don't know, rule or law that God had set up with, with the priests, and they were going to offer a burnt offering, right? Now, the burnt offering was supposed to be offered at this time only by the priest. And, and Samuel, who was the priest, the prophet at the time, said, I'm going I'm to come to where you are, Saul, and we're going to set up this time. We're going we're to seek God's help, right? All good. But instead of waiting for Samuel to show up at the time that he said, and, and Samuel, I don't know what, what Samuel's deal is, maybe it was sort of a little test, but he doesn't show up exactly when he was supposed to. His, his Apple Watch died, or, or his GPS redirected him, I don't know. But he didn't show up exactly when he was supposed to show up. And so Saul's kind of expecting him. He's like, hey, all my guys are running away. Uh, we're kind of in a bad situation here. Let's do something. So you can kind of almost feel sorry for Saul, right? 
or kind of understand at least kind of what his, what his mindset is. Hey, we got we to gotta do something. And so rather than obeying the direction of God to wait for the priest to offer the burnt offering, he says, you know what? Give it to me. And he does it. And then guess who shows up right as he does the thing that he wasn't supposed to do? Samuel. Do you remember as a child, maybe you're doing something wrong? And you, <laughs> maybe it's just me, but it would often happen as I'm doing something wrong. Guess who walks in right at the time that I'm doing the thing that I'm not supposed to do? Mom or dad walk in, right? Or if you have children, how many times have you sort of showed up just as when your, your child is doing something bad? So that's kind of where Saul is. He's like literally offering the, the thing that he's not supposed to do, and Samuel shows up and he's like, hmm? And of course, like most people, Saul starts to blame other people. He even actually tries to blame Samuel. He says, well, you didn't show up at the time, you know, but then the people, and what about the Philistines, and but he even at the end literally says, I had to force myself to do this. I didn't want to do it, but I forced myself to do it. Again, shifting the blame, and then Samuel's response to Saul is, you know, you've done foolishly. You've done foolishly because you disobeyed God's direct command, and guess what the consequence is going to be? God's going to choose someone else to take your place. So he literally loses the kingdom. Just shows how important obedience is to God. Literally the number one thing. And Saul, of course, the result of this, this one decision to disregard God's command results in him losing the kingdom. Not immediately, because he remains king for actually quite some time. I think that shows God's graciousness to him. But ultimately, he would lose the kingdom because of his decision to disregard God's direct command to him, to disobey. So that's kind of where we're at in this, in this story, in this portion of scripture. And actually, one more thing that I, that I almost forgot was that to make matters worse, the Israelites literally had no weapons. If you look at the end of chapter 13 in verse 22... The Philistines had literally taken away all of the weapons. So there's only two people in the entire Israelite camp army that had a sword, Saul and Jonathan. No one else had a sword or a spear. Again, another reason why if you're one of the Israelite troops, you're like, not only do they have this massive army, but we literally have nothing to fight them with. We've got like pitchforks and stuff. And maybe that works in like Disney movies but not in real life. And so again, they're in this, they're in this terribly difficult situation, but it's in this uh, kind of hopeless situation that God uses the faith of one person to do something truly incredible. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Would you pray with me and ask God to help us uh, as we look into his word and teach us something about what it means to have faith and what it means to follow God and what God can do as we're willing to step out in faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be together together, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, even as we sang about this morning. What an amazing reminder, Lord, of your goodness. As we look back in your faithfulness in, in, in the past, as we consider your faithfulness today, and then even as we looked ahead to what you're going to accomplish in the future. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. 
that's running after us, Lord. You pursue us with your love and grace and mercy. Lord, you give us opportunities to be used by you. Lord, you demonstrate your power in incredible ways. Lord, I pray that you would meet our needs this morning, that you'd speak to hearts, Lord. I know that nothing that I've prepared or I'm going to say this morning will have any effect, Lord, unless you're in it. Lord, I pray that you'd use the Holy Spirit to touch hearts and minds this morning. I don't know what sort of struggles or, uh, or seemingly impossible situations are being faced by the people in this room, Lord, but I know, I know that there are many. I pray that you would use your word, Lord, to encourage, to challenge us, to convict us, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's kind of have, as we have this understanding of the context of what's going on, let's jump into chapter 14, which is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Chapter 14, let's look at verse 1 together. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 14, verse 1, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side, but he told not his father. The first point that I want to make this morning as we consider uh, stepping out in faith is, is some observations about Jonathan. The first one is this, Jonathan makes a move. Jonathan makes a move. Verse 1, he says to his army, hey, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. You could also say that Jonathan realized that if Israel was going to have any hope, that someone was going to have to do something. The battle would not be won if they just sort of kicked back or retreated or, or stood to the side. Someone was going to have to do something. And rather than running and hiding like the majority of the people had done, Jonathan decides, hey, I'm going to get closer to the enemy rather than going further away. He decides to put himself literally into the, the to, not to use a Top Gun reference, but the danger zone. Right? He literally decides, rather than, than, than running and hiding in the, in the caves and the relatively secure places that the others had done, he says, hey, let's go over to where those guys are. Let's go over to their camp. Let's go over to where these, these, these uh, Philistines have, have massed. And you contrast that with what his father, the king, the actual commander-in-chief, was doing. Look at verse number 2 in, in chapter 14. The Bible says, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and there with him were about 600 men. And it's funny that the Bible uses the uttermost part of Gibeah, right? It's sort of like, again, like a reminder of literally Saul was going as far away as possible as he could. He's under this pomegranate tree way back in the back. Because again, reasonably so, he's, he's scared. He's not super excited to go on a suicide mission against this massive army. Kind of understandable, right? But contrast that with, again, what Jonathan is doing over here. Rather than going to the place of relative safety, into the uttermost part of Gibeah, Jonathan says, you know what? I'm going to go to where the enemy is. And it got me thinking. How many times in my life, or how often, have I missed out on seeing God's power because I choose to stay in a place of relative comfort or safety rather than moving to a place where I could see God's hand at work? 
You see, the reality is the battle was not going to be fought under the pomegranate tree way back here. The battle was going to be fought on the battlefield. So it logically makes sense that if you're going to fight a battle, you need to get to the battlefield. Not kick back under the pomegranate tree. Not say, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a relatively secure place. Let's sort of like stay here. We'll, we'll strategize and see what's going on. You know what else I thought about too? Jonathan's decision to move towards the battle and to move towards the enemy put him in a position to where God could use him. Again, how often do maybe I or have I missed out on seeing or allowing God to use me because I've chosen the place of relative safety rather than putting myself in a potentially dangerous situation? You know, sometimes it's going to take us making a decision to move from safety to, I don't know if unsafety is a word, but let's go with it, to see something happen. Because that's exactly what Jonathan did here. He moves from, rather than choosing safety, rather than choosing the kind of secure place, he says, let's go towards the enemy. Let's keep going here in in chapter 14. If you drop down to... Verse number four, it begins to describe his path from, uh, from where their army was towards the Philistines. In verse four, it says, in between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the other Senna. You know, when I first read this, I'm kind of like, why? Right? Why? And, and actually, I've been going through the Bible reading plan with some of our church members, and you read some of the passages, and sometimes you read it and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure why that's there. I'm not sure why that, you know, why that particular thing is, detail is in the Bible. But then I had this thought. I went to Google, like all good preachers do when they're preparing a sermon. <laughs> and I typed in Senna, and what was the other one? Bozes, right? And can you show that picture uh, there for me? <coughs> Guess what comes up? Bozes and Senna. There's literally a place that exists to this day that's still known by these two names. And it's this valley where there's a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And I was like, you know, how, how amazing is God that he gives us these little, like, I don't know, like little bonus things in, in the Bible. Lest you doubt, lest you think, hey, this is a made-up story, or this is just some sort of allegorical tale about faith and some you know, made-up fairy tale place. No, here's where it was. Which actually, as you look at it, that's kind of an intimidating place to be, right? You've got... And again, in my mind, I'm imagining Israel's kind of over here on this side, somewhere far back, right? The Philistines are on the other side. And Jonathan, not only did he decide to go towards the enemy, but he, he kind of had a rough, rough path to go. It took some effort for him not only to overcome his own fear, which I'm sure he was fearful, but he had to go overcome some phys- literal physical obstacles just to even put himself in the place that he was looking to go. 
And again, a reminder to me of how often maybe we have good intentions or we, we, we begin to say, you know what, I, I know I need to get out of here. I need to go towards and I need to get engaged. But you know what, it's pretty hard. There's some obstacles in my way. There's this kind of cliff that's really hard to climb. I probably, eh, right? Jonathan didn't allow those op- the physical obstacles, the mental obstacles. He said, you know what, I'm going to move to the place to put myself in a position to where God can use me. So Jonathan makes a move, number one. Number two, I want you to notice with me in verse number six. Jonathan makes a choice. Let's read verse six together. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And here's a key phrase that I want you to, to, to lock into your mind. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. The first step that Jonathan takes puts him in the position or puts him in the area, right? But now he has to make an additional choice, an additional decision to actually engage. And not only that, but as we read this passage, he uses the phrase, it may be, indicating that he's not guaranteed or he's not assured of the specific outcome of the decision that he's just made. That's faith, right? Because, and we know it's faith because he's, he follows up with his saying, it may be that God will work for us by saying, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And I compare that to oftentimes in scripture, you see God give a direct command, right? He says, do this and this will happen. Seems pretty straightforward, right? If I do this, if I do A, B will happen. It's pretty much a guarantee locked in, right? And we see that throughout scripture, but not in this case. There was no prophet that came to Jonathan that said, go and go against the Philistines and I guarantee you a win. If you just do this, then then, then I'll bring, I'll I'll, I'll save the battle. No, There's there's none of that. Jonathan wasn't assured of the specific outcome, but what he, but, but what was he assured of? He was assured he knew that God was able. You see, he didn't need a specific word from the Lord, although that would be nice. Believe me. It would be awesome if God would speak audibly to us and say, Ben, I want you to go here. I want to go to Hong Kong and be a missionary. Man, that would be awesome, right? No doubt. Before we were married, I used to, I used to hope that God would say, Ben, the name of the girl that you're going to marry is... Right? Didn't happen. And actually, side note here, Ashley and I, another kind of blessing of liberty has been to us is we met right out there about 12 years ago. There was no voice, but I noticed this very cute girl that had just joined the church. (laughs) And I strategically, it was back in the time when we would do handshaking line after you joined the church. And I strategically made sure I was the last person in the line so that no one behind me would rush us. And the rest is history. But back to the, back to the Bible. Sorry. 
sometimes I get sidetracked. It may be. Jonathan's not, con not at least not 100% guaranteed that, number one, he'll even live through this battle. He's not guaranteed that he's gonna win the battle, for sure. But what he does know is that God is able to do incredible things. I want you to, to flip back in your Bibles, if you would, to chapter 12. Just a couple pages back, same, same book, 1 Samuel chapter 12. I want to show you something really interesting. Chapter 12 is kind of a, a description or a record of when Saul was made king. So this is, again, just several years prior. There's this whole thing about Israel wanting a king. He wanted to be like other nations, but... Samuel, if you look at verse number, um, verse 5, let's say really verse 6, look at verse 6 in chapter 12. I want, you to, I want you to listen to what the prophet Samuel, the priest Samuel says to, to the nation of Israel. He says, and Samuel said unto the people, it is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron that brought your fathers out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob was coming to Egypt, your fathers cried to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron and brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord our God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the hosts of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Verse 10, and they cried to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies and we will serve thee in 11. And the Lord sent Drubbabel and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and ye dwelled safe. And the reason why I read that, and it actually, it fits right exactly with the songs that we sang this morning. We often need to remind ourselves of the thing that God, the things that God has already done in our lives. You know what drives our faith forward? Confidence that God is able, and that number two, He's already done the things that He's promised. That He's trustworthy. This is our God. This is who He is. And again, I, I, I think about myself. How often am I afraid to take a step of faith? How often do I sort of falter? Because I, I quickly forget. You ever notice how, how short some our memories are sometimes? I think about the disciples in the New Testament with Jesus. There's a story about how Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? You remember that story? Five loaves and two fishes, and he feeds 5,000 people, and there's 12 baskets of food left over. And then literally the next thing, the disciples go into this boat, and they're afraid. And Jesus is like, why, why, where's your faith? Brother Kim, one of the missionaries from last week, shared a message in, in chapel, and he pointed out isn't it interesting how, how many disciples did Jesus have? Anybody remember? Twelve. And how many baskets were left over from the feeding of the 5,000? Twelve. Get that connection there? 
There was literally a basket for each disciple. They had literally carried the basket of the food that came from five loaves and two fishes. And then almost immediately kind of forgot. But then I'm like, how often do I do that? How often does God do something? How often does, do I see God's hand at work in my life? How often does he uh, uh, overcome a seemingly impossible obstacle? And then almost immediately I'm like, what am I going to do now? I got this problem that's, that's come up. I have the problem at work. I, I lost my job or, 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 or something's happened in, in my family. What? Oh, ah. We need to remind ourselves of what God has done. In our own lives, I was looking through uh, the other day. We were preparing some, some photos for, for, our, for our missions presentation. Uh, anybody have iCloud? You do? Good. Hopefully it's secure. Uh, I was looking through my iCloud trying to find some old, old photos of our family. And you know what I was reminded of as I was scrolling through several years of photographs? Of God's goodness to me. There were things that I had forgotten. Again, just small things. Opportunities that he had given that I'd forgotten about. You know what God did as I was doing that? Again, just kind of a stupid thing, but God was so gracious to remind me, hey, I've taken care of you in the past. I'll take care of your future. And again, how often I so quickly forget. We come up against a a challenge, a difficulty, and we're like, man, what am I gonna do? And God's like, don't you remember? Don't you remember what I've done? Don't you remember all the ways that I've showed myself strong? Why don't we remind ourselves of what God has done? How I delivered David from the giant. How I saved the Hebrews from the Hebrew children from the fire. I mean, over and over and over, right? I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about it in my own life. As if there wasn't enough. God has been faithful. And part of me stepping out in faith to follow him is me reminding myself of his faithfulness. Because I need to do that often. Because I forget. I doubt. I fear. I wonder. But Jonathan remembered. He said, you know what? Nothing will hinder God to save by many or few. The amount of troops that the other side has is no factor. Because God is able to deliver. With one, two, five, ten, whatever it is, doesn't matter. He is able. Jonathan was assured of God's ability, of God's power, which drove his decision to move forward, to step out in faith. And you know, here's a little, here's, here's a little bonus, too, about Jonathan's decision to step out in faith. Look at verse 7 with me. <clears throat> so he says to his armor bearer, right, he says these things, he says, let's go, God will save us, no matter, look at verse 7. This is how his armor bearer responds. 
We don't even know the name of this armor bearer, by the way. He's not even named in the Bible. He says, armor bearer said to him, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. You know, when you make a decision to step out in faith, it doesn't affect just you. It affects those around you. Do you think that the armor bearer would have gone where he, they had gone or done what they did had Jonathan not first made the decision to go? Probably not. The armor bearer probably would have been back in the rear end of the pomegranate tree with Saul. Where most sane people were. But no. Jonathan's decision to step out in faith didn't affect just him. It affected those around him. You know, when we make decisions to step out in faith to follow God, to trust him, to allow him to use us, guess who it affects? The people around me. My spouse, children, my friends, my family, coworkers, people that I have opportunity to influence. Isn't that incredible? Maybe God is opening up an opportunity to step out in faith for you, not only for you, but for the people that are around you. Because when you decide to do that, other people are affected as well. And God uses us not only to bring about his plans, but maybe bring along his plans for someone else as well. Here's a suggestion. Next time we have a, we're facing a difficult decision, stop and remember. Stop and remember what God has done. Go through your iCloud photos. Some of them, maybe not all of them. And remember, open up his word. Remind yourself of his faithfulness, of what he's done in the past and what he's able to do in the future. Here's a second bonus about Jonathan's decision. The first one was that his decision affected those around him. But secondly, Jonathan's faith wasn't this sort of, I don't know, blind or, or foolish, but he, he was allowing God to redirect him along the way. Look at verse number eight with me, if you would. Verse number eight, here's what the Bible says. Jonathan said, behold, we'll pass over to these men. We'll discover ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, tarry until we come to you, then we'll stand in our place. But if not, we'll go to them. Verse 10. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we'll go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. Even as Jonathan is stepping out in faith, he's careful to allow God to re redirect his path if he chooses. Because as he's going, he says, you know what, let's, let's, let's do this. If they say, stay where you are, then we'll stay. If the guys say, come up, then that's going to be a sign to us. That'll be a, 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 I don't know, a reassurance to us that God is going, that God is with us. Kind of reminds me of another person in scripture, right? Remember the fleece? That ring a bell to anyone? Gideon, right? God had called him to go lead uh, against kind of a similar situation, actually, an overwhelming force. And Gideon's like, well, I kind of need some like help redirection, some, some like reassurance. And so he has this fleece. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. But the point is, Jonathan is willing to allow God to redirect him. He's like, hey, I'm stepping on faith. I believe this is what you do. I know that you can deliver. I, I believe that it's your, your design that, that, that it, we would be able to defeat this enemy. But if not, show me a different way. 
And I think that's important because as we follow God to step out in faith, you know what? Sometimes God might redirect our path. Are we allowing him to do that? Are we living our lives kind of with an open hand saying, Lord, I'm following you. Show me where you want. Sometimes he might change our direction. Sometimes he might say, great, I've been waiting for you to step out. Now let me show you the next step. So Jonathan, he made, made a move. He made the decision. And then here, number three, in, in, in closing, I just wrote down, God steps in. God steps in. Verse, if you go back to verse number six again, again, this is where Jonathan says, the Lord will, there's no restraint for the Lord to save by many or by few. Verse number 12, he says to his arm bearer, after the Philistines say, come on up, we're going to show you something. He says, the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. You go in 13 and 14, describes this Jonathan climbing up on his hands and feet, his arm bearer after him. They attack this Philistine outpost. God gives them the victory. And in verse 15, now instead of the Israelites trembling, Guess who's trembling? The Philistines are trembling. It says, verse 15, there was trembling in the host in the field among the people, the garrison and the spoilers. They also trembled and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. Because of one man's decision to make a move, make a decision, God steps in. The earthquake wasn't caused by Jonathan. God responded in power because of the faith of one man. Earthquake happens there. If you keep going down, <coughs> you'll see the Israelites rally. All the people that had sort of wandered off and started hiding uh, come back together. And, but they're not even the ones who, who actually win the battle. Because look at verse number 20, about halfway down to verse number 20. It says, behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. So it wasn't even the Israelite armies that actually won the battle. It was literally God working on their behalf. The earthquake and the confusion, the, the, the Philistines literally started attacking each other. And then if you drop down and look at verse number 23, here's who gets ultimately the glory. Verse number 23 says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. You know what? Jonathan also recognized this. From the very beginning, his attitude was, hey, if this is going to happen, God's going to have to do it. I literally have one sword and one armor bearer. You know, sometimes I think it's not a bad thing to be in a position of extreme weakness because that's exactly when we realize how much help we actually need. And I think God sometimes puts us in those positions and we don't like it because it's uncomfortable. And we don't like it because it's, it's, it's not guaranteed. We're at this extreme disadvantage, but you know what? That's exactly where God can come in and show his power on our behalf. When we are weak, he is strong. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
and the things that are not, to put it not the things that are. It's not a bad thing to be in a weak position. Because that's when I can rely totally and wholly on him. I have this tendency, maybe you do too. When I'm confident, that's not usually the time that I'm asking God for help. When I say, you know, I got this, I'm comfortable, I got it, I, I'm good, I, I kind of know what's going on, I, I understand the situation, I can, I can handle this, that's usually not the time that I'm crying out to God for help. But you know when I am doing that? When I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. This, this issue, this problem that I'm facing, this, 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 this thing that's before me, I have no idea. I have no clue. That's when I cry out to God. And I think that's exactly where God often wants us to be. To rely on him for help. To rely on his power, his strength, his deliverance. Because he's able. Because he can. And because he does. So this morning as as we close... Can I challenge you in a couple ways? I don't know where, where you are or what's going on in your life, but here's a couple of, here's a couple of questions or challenges to consider as we, as we wrap up this morning. First of all, what moves do you need to make? Is there a move that you need to make? And maybe not just a physical move. God used this passage in Ashley and I's life to, to reassure, to challenge us to make a move from our, you know, relatively stable and, and, and comfortable ministry position in Florida to say, you know what, I think God has something else for us. And by the way, this is not, this is not about me. I'm just sharing it with what God did in our lives. Anything good that, that comes from us is simply because of God's grace. Anything that we're able to accomplish for him is only because of his power and his strength. This is far beyond our abilities. So what moves might we need to make? Have we gotten a little comfortable under the pomegranate tree? Are we choosing the place of relative safety and shying away from, 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 the, from the location or the position or the place where we, should, where we should be? Maybe there's a decision that we need to make. Maybe we're not necessarily way back in the back, avoiding the difficulty, but maybe we're not actually making a decision to engage. Maybe we're kind of in the area, but we're not really like super. And this could be something as simple as sharing about Jesus with your neighbor. Being willing to talk to a coworker about your faith. We're kind of there, but we're like, I don't know, it might be a little awkward or strange or something. Maybe we need to make a decision to engage in what God has called us to do. Because remember, in all of this, that God is able, he stands ready to respond in power as we step out in faith to trust him. And then thirdly, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know, there's never been a time in my life, I can't remember a time or a place in my life where I, where I ever made a decision to accept Christ as my personal Savior. I've come to church, I've read the Bible, I've prayed, or I've done this or that, or I grew up 
in church, whatever the case might be, you know, the, the most, I don't know, to me, the easiest decision or of faith that I made in my life was the one to accept Christ as my Savior. You want to know why? Because in Romans 10, 13, the Bible says, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not may be saved, not might be saved, not could be saved, shall be saved. It's a guarantee. When you cry out to Jesus to save you, guess what? He does. Maybe your step of faith this morning is to simply ask him to save you. Maybe there's not been a time in your life where you've trusted in him for salvation, where you're assured that heaven is your home. You know that today could be that day? Because again, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.